I think the most obvious place to start is just talking a little bit about who you are and what you're most excited about that you're currently working on. So you want to just go down the line here and we'll start with Linda. I'm Linda Martinez. I'm the Deputy Mayor for Development for the City of St. Louis. I've been in that position for just a little over a year. Before that, I was in the private sector for more years than I want to say and uh, saw things when people had access to resources, had access to the uh, highest intelligence uh, services available. And so what I'm trying to do now is think about economic development health of the city and how we bring some of the things that are going on in the private sector to the government. Very good. Um, good afternoon, everybody. My name is Phil Skipper. I'm the head of business development for Vodafone's IoT business. Um, I spend my time thinking about how IoT would change the way that we do things across multiple different industries. So uh, it's good to be here. Looking forward to the discussion. Hello, I'm Juanita Davis. I'm a city science advisor for MIT Media Lab for the City Science Group, and I'm working with the Andorra Living Lab project. So I'm here just to learn more about how we can plan these future smart cities. Yeah, good afternoon. My name is Tom Lanch. I'm the senior vice president of Intel's uh, IoTG business. Uh, we provide the fundamental technology along with our partners to enable all these great creative things that we're seeing in cities around the world. So I had a chance to talk with all of you in the speaker's lounge, which was insightful. And I think one of the things that we all touched on was one of the biggest problems is in awareness, because when most people think about smart cities, they're thinking about Wi-Fi enabled cities, they're thinking about autonomous cars, but they might not realize how these cities are really going to make their lives better 10, 20, 30 years from now. So can we maybe start at the opposite end of the line here and we'll work in reverse and you can tell us something that you're working on or, or in general how I'm sorry, something that you're working on that will make everyone's life better in this room that they might not be aware of. Yeah, um, so what's happening in cities around the world is a couple of major trends. One, uh, we're all getting older. Uh, cities are aging, actually, and they're getting larger. Uh, and we just conducted a fairly large study uh, with Jupiter Research, and one of the areas that we're working on is essentially making ourselves more efficient and giving back time. Uh, back to people and and we have estimated through the combination of not only things like autonomous vehicles but just the technologies and services cities can provide that we can give back almost three weeks of time to people in cities just eliminating things like congestion uh, and access to to transportation and other services so I, I think we all would agree having three more weeks to do things we desire to do versus uh, being in a congested environment would be pretty uh, advantageous. So to me, one of the important points is that um, cities get built in a, in a moment where cars were really important. So now we are seeing that many people is commuting for a lot of time. We have a lot of sprawl, we have a lot of areas that are occupied, and we need to start to face how we are going to build the cities of the future. because. Uh, we need to have a healthy environment in which uh, in one kilometer we can reach all our necessities. And here we were talking about our different experience and uh, it's really interesting to see how some of us cannot um, live without, uh, without a car because they have to go to the supermarket or because they have to pick their own kids. So it's interesting to face from the... Um, from the physical point of view, how, how it should be and how maybe we can densify some of the areas in order to make more easy and to make people to spend less time commuting and moving around the city. 
Very good. I think from, from our perspective, we're in a, a, a slightly interesting position as we provide a network that covers most of the cities that are out there today. So there's already this infrastructure through which many, many devices to, can be connected. And we're already connecting loads and loads of devices to that infrastructure today. What interests us most now is how do you start connecting these separate ecosystems that have been built so you can actually enable people to do the same thing, but actually in a more efficient way. So we're now looking at not only ways to enable people to buy the services they want in the way they want to buy them, but how do you link those ecosystems together? So for instance, the linking of social care um, with clinical care, um, the integration of transport systems. So how do you bring it together to create a sustainable solution for a city rather than just a number of technical proof of concepts? And building on that ecosystem uh, in St. Louis, one of the things we're trying to do is think about how we create a better environment. And one issue that is a particular issue for urban areas is criminal activity. And uh, I kind of feel like I'm, you know, that's uh, negative, but it's very positive. How do you make an environment that's very supportive of, of individuals and companies and families? So we're trying to think about how do we thoughtfully, while protecting people's data, monitor and evaluate criminal activity and uh, looking at surveillance cameras, uh, license plate readers, things like that. So we're really trying to be thoughtful about the actual services that are delivered. I'm not sure I'll ever know the technology and ecosystem that it takes to deliver those services, but we want to be thoughtful purchasers of those services and within our budgets trying to think about um, taking advantage of the, of the technology not always being distracted by the bright, shiny toys that people want to sell us, but really thinking about how are we creating it, building on that ecosystem, an area where people want to live, work, and play, raise their families. And that's kind of the trade-off of smart cities, right? There's, there's always going to be some privacy invasion for some kind of level of convenience. So I'm interested to hear what Intel, who's been working on this at great length, what, uh, what are you guys are doing to address that? Sorry, I couldn't hear the question very well. <laughs> very tough. Missing the head mic this year. So uh, I'm curious what Intel's doing to address kind of the dark side of the, the smart cities to where uh, we're kind of giving up some, some level of security in order to be a little more convenient in the cities we're living in? Yeah, I think, you know, the systems that we build and the technology that we build um, with our partners actually is, is pretty secure. I, I don't think that's the risk. Uh, the risk is that we are... We're, the, the types of things that, we're, that are enabled by this technology are, are pretty awesome. Um, it's, it's the policy by which how this information is used, really. Um, it, it's more of a question of policy statements of governments, uh, large and small, uh, to enable that. I'll, I'll, I'll give a quick example as, as sort of the, the, the pros and cons of this. Um, we do a lot of work with regards to technology around video and facial recognition and AI uh, technology, which is, which is growing at exponential rates. Now, um, in certain circumstances, uh, as an individual, we can be concerned by our privacy rights on that, and, and certainly there, there's probably reason to be in certain circumstances under the government of the control of certain uh, audiences that have access to that information. On the other hand, you know, if, if you can identify uh, uh, an abducted child in, in a very short period of time, or a runaway, or, or an older person that has Alzheimer's that, that's, that's missing, I think we'd all be delighted. So these are the pros and cons of, you know, these kinds of technologies that we enable. But I, I think 
ultimately, it's not a technology issue. Uh, it's really a governance issue and a data control issue. Uh, and I think governments are going to have to deal with this and, and are grappling with this right now. Sure. Uh, Juanita? I think that it's also an issue about literacy. So the world has changed a lot and the technologies have developed so fast that the most of the people is not really aware of how the technology works. So if we are able to bring it uh, to, to fix this gap, people will be more aware because this is going to happen in any case. So what we have to do is to bring this knowledge to the people in order to make them know and know how to deal with this new situation and this new environment that is going to happen in any case. What responsibility does a company like Intel have? Uh, I think we would all agree that regulation is ideal, but in a, in a kind of slow-moving environment, what kind of responsibility does Intel have in, in lieu of regulation? I think we have a responsibility to make sure that the technology that we create with our partners is secure. Um, and how that is used by consumers when they choi make choice in, in adopting these services is, is up to individual, uh, individual responsibility and or the, the people that are deploying these services. But we have, we have a great emphasis to make sure that it, that information can be secured and is secured. Again, how it's used, that's a choice either individually or in a government sense, or uh, could be uh, an industry sense. And I, I guess for the ladies on the panel, since you're both working with cities on your, your very specific smart city goals, as, as opposed to for a company, uh, what are some of the challenges a city has in integrating smart, uh, smart city technology? Well, the number one challenge we have is funding and uh, planning. How do you thoughtfully decide what are the best uh, technologies and uh, to move this, the, the services forward in the city. But also going back to the policy questions, you know, there'll be a lot of predictive analytics that are applied to a lot of big data. And so when we're storing big data and we're, it's all gonna be secure, one, we have to have the best cybersecurity known to man and we're in the government, we're not the private sector, so we're gonna have this challenge of you know, how do we have this or do we rely on maybe government regulation to help us with that cybersecurity, but then, We'll be tempted to use predictive analytics to, and going back to my example of, of either deal, you know, dealing with criminal activity or you're talking about dealing with people who are older. I mean, you know, there are a lot of exceptions to the rules, and so you get a, you re recognize the wrong face or you you can't find the missing child or whatever. I think people's expectations are going to be have to be balanced again what's with, against what's really possible. I think you go to the most simplistic level, you pick up your phone and you want it to be able to talk to somebody the second. It's not a perfect system, it's, you know, it's human, you know, failable, and, you know, and it has foibles of its own, but, you know, we want to be able to be thoughtful and be able to uh, deliver thoughtful services, so. Yeah, um, I, I think when you consider what are the barriers to the smart city, I think we have to take a couple of steps back and say, what are we actually trying to achieve? So. There's the technological input, and then there's the business output we're trying to deliver. And I think when you look at cities, there are few where there is a low element of the built environment. So all cities exist. There are some which are being built. But I think one of the biggest barriers is how do you deploy change over a built environment which may have been there for hundreds of years? And I think the second one for me is that this is not about some technical output, it's about driving behavioural change. And without that behavioural change, you're not going to get people to adopt the new ways of working upon which a smart city relies on. So I think there's two bits. 
how do you change a city that already exists, of which there are many, and the second one is how do you encourage that change in behaviour by doing things like having the right policies around, for instance, the sharing of data? So we were talking about physical and cultural at the same time. So this is also interesting because uh, we are talking about smart cities in general, but as we discuss uh, in every place of the world, you have a different culture background. So when you are taking a transformation, you have to work a lot with um, how pe what people will accept, how people will behave. We were talking about waste collection, for example. And in Europe, it's not a big deal, but in, in some other countries, it's complex because people has difficulties in changing and transforming their own behavior or how people will not buy a new car. So how do you, I, I, the question here is, is not just about physical or technological, but how you can engage people into transforming this behavior and this culture. But how do you do that? I'll, I'll, I'll let Tom answer since you brought it up. So, so I think we're, we're all kind of inundated with this knowledge that we need to go out and we need to kind of shape policy and that we need to push for this kind of change. But in a practice, practical sense, how's that done? So how do you actually go out and do it? I think you have to prove the value of what we're doing. So um, we've done some fairly simple things around sort of emptying people's bins more efficiently and all those types of things. What you actually have to do is to find a cause that people are prepared to buy into. Um, and for most cities, the first stepping stone is around integrated transportation. And I think most of the things we're seeing there is that if you can improve the way people can move, you can actually create in, improved mobility to people. You suddenly start to generate more value for the city. It becomes a nicer place to live, and people see those benefits almost immediately. And that can be simple. It can be interactive signage. It can be helping people with difficulties moving around the city. There are a number of small things that you do that have massive impact and I think what you need to find those deliver those and you know as you said don't get distracted by the shiny toys so what are some smart initiatives that are in the works not necessarily for anyone that you're working with but what what has you most excited um, say in a five-year timeline or a ten-year timeline like where where could we see this technology go in, in a very short time frame I, I think you're gonna see an explosion in the number of connected devices that are out there. So there are new networks appearing like MBIOT that we have here in Holland, um, which enables you to connect much lower cost devices. I think the low cost technology, um, the prevalence of incredibly low cost video, advances in analytics, and the fact everyone has an interface to the smart city called a smartphone, enables you to do many, many different things. So I think what you'll find um, going forwards is you'll see just a range of different applications and for us um, what we're most interested in is actually building these ecosystems of developers plus corporates plus cities to capture the innovation that comes in so it can really start to drive this behavioral change so I think building that ecosystem is the key way of getting it working and you can start small and then you can scale it and that's kind of what you're working on in Andorra, is that right, Juanita? Yeah, you're, you, you get the fortunate position of, of kind of building a country at scale uh, into not just a smart city, but a smart country. Yeah, and we don't like to call it smart because smart is something that is immediate. So we think in this uh, like a process. So you have a very rich country that is interested in building new areas of the economy and bringing innovation and technology. But of course, this is not like a straightforward process. So you have first 
to get the knowledge, then to, to engage all the organizations. So, for example, in our case, we are engaging the university, we are engaging the different ministries, uh, the schools, in order to be part of the project. So when they are part of the project and you start uh, working, for example, with data with them, so they realize what is the value behind of that, and they start to realize how it works, how it can be a tool, and how they can develop forward this kind of technology or how they can use it. But it's not something that is from one day to another because you have to create the project, you have to engage, you have to bring their knowledge into the, into the, into the process. So for example, we, we had a project about cultural heritage that is quite interesting because when you talk about like uh, future countries or technology, you never think about heritage that is kind of the basic of the definition of the identity of a place. So it was very interesting to work with the Ministry of Culture because they, they, they start to learn how to collect data, how to pass this data, how to visualize this data, and they, they get knowledge about that. And uh, it was very important to us because we, we learn from them and they learn from us. And now they're more, um, they have more tools in order to work with that. And this was very important. So how might a company like Intel be able to support someone like Juanita who is trying to achieve these miraculous things uh, when Intel's kind of, I'm sure most of you know, a really behind the scenes player in a lot of these, these technologies we use every day. So we might not talk about them as much as they deserve, but they kind of have their finger in every, every light socket they were using. So, so how can we help Juanita to achieve this in Andorra or, or worldwide? I don't know. Again, it's really hard to hear your question, but uh, I think I, I heard it. Um, look, we're, we're, we are a lot of different places and our technology is a lot of different places. Um, but I, I think the, 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 the comment about bringing these ecosystems together is the important thing. I think today most of these applications are very siloed. Um, and, and probably the best analogy I could use is what we're trying to do is create platforms with our partners much like um, we've, we've now experienced with our phones, right? Historically, you had multiple different devices. You had a phone, you had a GPS, you had an MP3 player, people can remember those. We had all these unique devices we strapped on ourselves, right? The combination of all these sensor technologies or capabilities now with application providers up on top of it has created a lot of innovation. And, and, and literally that's the kind of innovation that we are trying to expand upon. Your city, your, your, your home city of San Diego, probably has one of the best examples of this where there now are sensors sitting up on top of um, light fixtures that not only include the ability to manage the lights, but they have uh, microphones in it, they have camera systems in it, they have environmental sensors in it. And so it's a combination of all this information in an aggregated sense opened up by a development community that enables you to do things like real-time determinism of parking spaces or understanding traffic patterns of pedestrians crossing streets or uh, you know, security issues with regards to either breaking glass or gunshots or isolating uh, incidents of crime. All these things are enabled with a fundamental foundation that allows all these sensors to be fused together and available to ecosystem providers to write applications on and sell those services to cities and cities to monetize that data, take advantage of the data information that they have uh, to, to again use that as a source of revenue to go back and invest in their communities. So I think it's this 
this circular environment is the one that we're really working hard to, to create and get away from stovepipe-based applications. And Linda, you mentioned one of your biggest challenges is funding. In a Midwestern city like St. Louis, where millions of dollars of capital might not be flowing in as much as you'd like to see, I'm sure, what short of this kind of cash injection would make this happen or propels these projects forward in the next few years? I think uh, what we want need to do with the existing systems, right now we have a, a system that's very capital driven and very personnel driven. And how do we change that over to a smart system dealing in the environment that we are where people are employed in, in the existing system and are threatened by a, a future system. But you know, if we're trying to deliver trash services and clean parks and lights that are on when you need them to be and not when you don't need them to be, how do we take the money that we're spending inefficiently by having somebody turn the lights on or off or decide when the traffic needs to move faster or slower and turn those into a smart technology. So how do we borrow against the money that we're going to save operationally by put, installing those systems? And I guess we can close up with Tom. What kind of message do you want to leave for everyone here that's, that's sort of watching this develop and waiting and wondering what's next? What kind of message do you, do you want to leave them with today? I didn't catch that. What was that? <laughs> <laughs> Try that again. Okay. Everyone here is, is kind of watching this technology develop and wondering what's next. So they're all going to leave here in just a few minutes. What message do you want to leave them with? Okay. Now I've consumed all, all the minutes. Um, We're out of time now. You can't absolutely answer. Absolutely right. It's, it's then. Where's it going to go? Um, I think it's going to go everywhere. I think it's going to go into your pockets. I think it's going to be something which you're going to carry with you as the smart city. I think you'll, everyone will become a connected citizen. You won't change what you do, but you'll certainly change the way you do it. And that's where the efficiency will come. That's what will make the smart city success. So, um, Linda, one more question for you. You'd, you'd mentioned the, the savings, uh, pocketing the savings, basically, or investing the savings, basically, before they happen. That's, that sounds really challenging. Can you explain that? Well, uh, so I come from the economic development world, and we do something that's called tax increment financing. And so you bring a company, until says it's going to expand in St. Louis. Thank you very much for that new location. Appreciate it. Um, and they're going to bring 300 jobs. Well, that's going to create a tax fl cash flow to the city. Um, that cash isn't going to show up for two, three, five, ten years. And so there are me mechanisms in our markets out there that loan us money against that cash flow. So how do I take that stream of revenue that's going to come when I save on how I deliver trash services, or I save on how I, I do transit, or I reduce the cost of delivering clean, light, clean streets and bright lights to everybody. If I can save on that, then I can borrow it today and put it into a new smarter system that will create those savings. And so I think about it as a, a cash flow rationalization. So it's done in the private sector all the time. And uh, I'd like to apply it to the government. And, and Juanita, we'll close with you. So, so you're working in Andorra. What lessons can a country like Holland learn from Andorra, what you're doing there, or, or maybe even on a bigger scale, the US? So uh, sorry, can you repeat again? Because I cannot hear you very well. What kind of lessons can a country like Holland, or even on a bigger scale, the United States, learn from the kind of things you're doing in Andorra? And how do we apply those? So from Andorra to the Netherlands? Well, I think more the human part, so more the perceptive part. So what is really quality of life? What is the quality of the city? How do you spend, uh, how do you um, 
create an environment that is more related to a personal uh, view than a generic idea of efficiency. And from the Netherlands, I will say that the Netherlands is extremely good in efficiency. So actually, you can see that smart ways, uh, smart mobility, everything, many things are already implemented. But I will say that Andorra, it will be interesting that they will implement more this kind of view. So I, I believe that both have to learn. And it's also, again, a cultural issue because you have a culture that is really the Dutch culture is really nice because it's really preventing. So they prevent all the possible bad things that can happen. And the Latin cultures are more about enjoying and solving things. In So I think both cultures have something to contribute. And both visions of cities and countries are complementary, in my opinion. That's amazing. So I want to thank all of you guys for joining me today. And I hope you're really enjoying your time here at TNW Conference. And uh, thank all of you.